You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Absent Minded, the final episode of the World Junior Championship and the first episode of Training Camp. And first of all, we have to congratulate USA to a fantastic game last night, uh, which ended with a with a tournament win of the World Junior Championships. Uh, great for uh, Cole Caulfield, maybe not as great as uh, for Kaden Gooley, uh, but it was an upset, and, and sometimes we actually live to see upsets as well. Uh, with me today, I got uh, Jared Book. Welcome to the pod, Jared. Yes, we're back again, back in the saddle. I feel like the World Juniors is a perfect preseason for for the NHL season. It should always it's be just... in August after this, right? <laughs> well, it just I just feel like because everything is going so quickly right now, it just felt feels so good to have the World Juniors, and just right after that, because there's no preseason for the NHL, right? So this was like our preseason to get everything ready and ready to go for uh, for the season. Yeah, and we also have. Anton Rossegård from a snowy Sweden. I think it's snowy down at your place as well, Anton. No, no, this is the south, baby. It's it's all hey, sunny. You're like what? Sunny and Thirty kilometers, three hundred kilometers away from me. It's yeah, not that there, much south. No <laughs> yeah, but there is no sun. Uh, there is no snow here. It's uh, it's perfectly uh, just uh, a normal cold winter day without any kind of uh, either rain or snow. So so it's very uh, it's very pleasant actually. It's it's the last down uh, last day for. Um, the kids uh, winter vacation or winter holiday and uh, here in Gothenburg it actually has arrived about two centimeters of snow so I'm sure everyone is happy but we're looking towards what happened yesterday and what happened before that in in uh, the World Union Championships at start there uh, we had three prospects going into the medal rounds um, and um, the first one out was Jan Mishak we're not surprised by that but has Mishak increased or strengthened or weakened his um, uh, grades or, or um, performance in, uh, w- with his performance in the World Junior Championship? I think that Mishak has uh, improved his status. I think that uh, there were a lot of questions about why he fell to the second round, uh, if there was something that w- we hadn't seen, because there were a lot of analysts who had him in the first round, at the end of the first round, fell to 48. I think that... I mean, there there were some some doubts about uh, whether we had uh, just overreacted to a great uh, end of the winter season in Hamilton. Um, I think that Mishak has uh, proven himself to be uh, the well the the best talent of the Czechs, which doesn't really say that much uh, at this point because the Czech team. I mean, they made it to the quarterfinals because there were worse teams in in the tournament, obviously, but. Um, and they beat Russia, which was great, but it's still, you know, it was a shutdown defense that made that happen. But I, I just, I just like the versatility of Mishak. I like that he was named captain. Um, I think that it's nice to have a prospect who is, I mean, he's still extremely young. He's he's only 18 and a half at this point, and he was already made captain. It, it tells you something about his leadership and the fact that I think that it's a positive that we don't know if he's a center or winger um, going forward because it just proves it just improves that versatility going forward i think that um when he goes back to hamilton it will be well if they start up the ohl it will be interesting to see how they want to play him um and um you know um 
well, I mean, you you can you can speak more about Misha yourself uh, since you have actually talked to him, uh, Patrick. Concur, and I agree with what you're saying. It's it's uh, I'm more impressed with him. I'm impressed maybe with his leadership qualities the most. Uh, the fact that he sacrifices himself for the for the best of the team. Uh, he seems very mature. He seems uh, to understand the game of hockey quite well. Um, I still rely on some of my sources down in Czech Republic that are a bit wary about his qualities to actually run a power play. Uh, uh, what we have seen here is that he can lead a third and fourth line maybe where it's not such a high on demand on, on actually play, uh, leading the, the, the play or, or taking charge of the puck and delivering it to different areas. I think still that Mishak is better as a as a uh, run and gun kind of player on the wing. Uh, he himself does not see it that way, uh, and and it's very clear if you listen to the previous episode that we had around I think it's twenty six and a half minutes where the interview with Mishak starts, uh, and also the article that that I had on Ice on the Price in regards to the interview I did with Jan Mishak from the World Juniors. But but I'm impressed with him. He's he's risen in my rankings. If we look back at the at the top twenty five, under twenty five, yeah, I, I I will raise his ranking to, to next year because he has impressed in the World Juniors, no matter what goes on in this weird uh, spring. Um, and and the good thing for Mishak as well is that he has the opportunity to go back to Europe directly to play. And he said in the interview that he has focused on the defensive side of the game. So we should not read in too much of, you know, number of, of goals or assists when it comes to the extra league play. It will be very interesting, as you say as well, Anton, to to see how Hamilton chooses to, to go with his development and the role he gets on the team. It, it reminds me a lot about a, a, another Czech center that the Canadians had. Uh, who played uh, middle six minutes, who may have sacrificed his offensive output a little bit for the team. And who is uh, and, helping Mishak develop. Yeah, ex- exactly. And, you know, I, I think that the, the offensive part of his game was always the the strength. And we'll get into it a little bit later with somebody else uh, who was at the World Junior Tournament. But I, I feel like that this showed a, a different side of his game. And, and I think that uh, he wasn't alone in that regard. Uh, a little teaser for later on. Yeah, we can move on more or less directly uh, to to maybe not the one you're hinting at, but but to the other one, and it's Kaden Goulet <laughs> who ended up with the silver medal. And let's be honest, a 16-2 win in the first game compared to a loss in the first game doesn't really matter much when you lose the last game or win the last game. Yeah, you know, a lot of people with Gouley, um is going to be about the first goal, right? Because yeah. it was his man, he was there. But what I we need to look at, and, and it's, this it's the is hits what, on Cowfield, isn't it? it well, that that too. But it, it's about watching the game as opposed to watching the highlights. You know, that goal was and at the end of a two-minute shift. Uh, Baron, his his D partner, was able to change. Drysdale came on. Aguli wasn't able to get off because he was the one that was uh, kind of holding the puck and holding the line for for Baron to get off. And, you know, it's just one of those things. It's going to happen in the NHL, too, uh, where a guy at the end of his shift is going to be uh, is, is going to be taken advantage of by, by a fresher player in front of the net. Like, it's just it's I don't think that that should define his tournament or, or even his gold medal game, because 
he has had a really good tournament. And, and I think that, you know, before that, he was one of the most noticeable players on Team Canada before that goal against. He was having good shifts. He was stepping up into play. He was making nice plays defensively. He was, you know, creating uh, exits on, on the Canadian side. And I, I, we mentioned this in the quarterfinal uh, preview, but for me, it, it just shows what kind of player he is. And, and for me, I, I was very impressed with him. And I don't want that goal against to define his tournament or his game because I thought he had a really good game and I thought he had a really good tournament as well. Yeah, I want to I want to add to that because I, I feel like Kaden Gooley, of the three Canadians prospects, he's the one who has um, impressed me the most in this tournament just because he went in and we didn't even know if he was going to make the team at camp. And then he took a spot and he not only took a spot, but he was actually one of the better defensemen as a possible returner for next year as well. And I mean, he, he was a guy who I think we all were a bit... Um, we weren't that happy when the Canadians selected him at 16, just in the moment, because you felt that, oh, there was so much offensive talent on the board, and we've touched on that before in the podcast as well. But the the longer the time goes, like now it's two, two and a half months later, uh, three months later, and all of a sudden you, you kind of realize what uh, Mark Bergevin and the bicep, bicep gang uh, must have fallen in love with in the process. And at this point, uh, I feel so much... I feel so happy that the Canadians went in the direction of uh, Kaden Gooley instead of a Dawson Mercer or a Maverick Bork. Obviously, they're all still young and, you know, the development could go either here or there. We don't know yet. But at this point in time, I'm very happy to have Kaden Gooley as a prospect for the Montreal Canadiens. You also have to realize that we were not very happy with a certain other person that is making a great impression in camp that we're going to discuss later. Like, I remember... Uh, when when Canadians picked Alexander Romanov, and it's not the first time we go back to that draft day when Jared was confused <laughs> as as everyone else, and and I then had to write up a grading article where I was completely wrong, as as many points out every now and then, uh, but but I mean it's the same with Caden Gooley. You you there was some offensive talent on the board, same with Romanov uh, in the second round at that time, but but. They, both of them seems to have been very, very good picks. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, right? And you know, even today I'm having a conversation in the comments about how, you know, because they're, you know, not offensive-minded defensemen, they may not be worth a high draft pick. And for me, I think that that's where the disconnect comes in, right? Because everyone wants... You know the sexy pick. They want the exciting pick. They wanna. They want the Cole Caulfield. They don't want Philip the Philip Broberg. Yeah. Well, they don't. They don't want uh, a guy who's going to be playing a shutdown role. It, it's not like Philip Deneau, right? Philip Deneau was a first round pick, but that's not the kind of first round pick people want. Even though he's become a number one center in Montreal, and every team would be ecstatic to have that as a first from a first round pick. It, it, it's the, it's the mindset, right? And, and I think a goal saved is just as good as a goal scored right if you're, if you're and that's where the it, new it, analytics it, comes in isn't it you well, look at yeah, goal yeah. differential exactly like if you if you put up 60 points or are on the ice for 60 goals for as an example but you're on the ice for 40 goals against or 45 goals against right that, that's a plus 15 and i'm not talking about plus minus i'm talking about actual goal differential and, and let's say you, you you're on the ice for 40 goals when but you only allow 20 that's a plus 20 right so i i feel like Romanov is a good example of this as well, is that he's never going to put up 50, 60 points. At least I don't think so. He's not that kind of defenseman. He, he'll help in the rush. He's a good skater. He'll move. He'll hit people. 
and and most importantly, he'll shut the other team down. It, it's it's the kind of mindset that is kind of changing, right? Because the shutdown guys, the the, the stay at home defensemen right now, they're not like Douglas Murray or Shea Weber. You know what I mean? Like the 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 big guy who just stands in front of the net and hits people. It, it's not like that anymore. Gooley is one of the best skaters on that Canadian team, and, and he's a, a defensive defenseman. Right, and so same with Romanov last year in yeah, the Russian exactly. team, a team that exactly. is known for their skating capabilities. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is that both of them were like, "Oh, what do we have here?" We, you know, it's they're not going to be that that Eric Carlson or Brent Burns. You know, it, they're not going to be like that. They're just going to be solid defensemen that are going to be the cornerstone cornerstone of uh, of the team. And it's funny to me because a lot of these people who are like, "Oh, you have to pick the." The, the, the scoring defenseman, you have to pick the, the guy who's going to put up points. You can't pick a, a shutdown guy in the first round or, or early in the second, like Romanov, are the same people who think that Shea Weber is better than Jeff Petrie. And it's like, yeah. which, 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 which one do you choose? Because, you know, and I'm not saying Petrie's bad defensively at all. That's what I'm saying. I'm just saying in terms of the, the disconnect of scoring points versus stopping points, and, and we have to change the mindset of, what defensive means, right? Like Philip Deneau, uh, Thomas Tatar, Brendan Gallagher, the reason why people don't think that they're a top line outside of Montreal or even inside of Montreal is because they don't put up points. But if you look at their goal differential as opposed to, say, the the, the Colorado line of, of McKinnon, uh, Rantanen, and, and Landeskog, or you look at, uh, you know, Toronto's first line, or, or mm. um, you know, the, the, what makes the, the Boston first line great of Bergeron, Marchand, and... Uh, Pasternak is that they're just as good defensively and keeping pucks out as they are scoring, right? And I think that that's what we have to change our mindset of is that being defensive is not a bad thing, right? Like you also it, have to look just, at it from just, uh, from the point of NHL games played. You, yeah. you cannot just sit there. Oh, we could have gotten this. Yeah, hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, we 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 can say Monday morning quarterbacking. I'm 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 as great as Aaron Rodgers, if not better, on a Monday morning after he's played on Saturday. But but it's it's. You need to look at how many games does a normal player get that is picked on that spot. Have they beaten that limit or not? And you can't judge that first two years because they barely play. Most of these guys won't play in the NHL the first two years. No, I was just going to say that. I mean, if you see someone like getting Gouli, I understand that. I mean, everyone said like high floor pick, low ceiling guy, whatever. Um, I think that it's just great to to like already at 18. You can see that the NHL tools are there. The NHL traits are there. If he doesn't live up to his potential of be, becoming a, a staple top four defenseman, he will at the very least become a Joel Edmondson who can be a bottom four defenseman um, who can put in any situation you can you he can help out with a slap shot on the power play if you need him to he can definitely help out in the penalty kill um, I think that there is just as you say there's just you're undervaluing a guy just because he doesn't have those offensive traits someone like Eric Carlson I mean Eric Carlson and Brent Burns they've both dominated the league I mean they, they get this um, you, you talk about them as the, glowingly because they put up a lot a lot of points but as you say if you look at them how many how many goals they actually let in with them on the ice because they're basically a fourth forward um it's not as impressive anymore but it looks good in the stat sheet and on the highlights so therefore i mean a Caden goalie will never get the great highlights except for an occasional hit and an occasional slap shot and it's the same with shay weber but they are you know guys that you can rely on in every situation and that is maybe 
just like more valuable than an Eric Carlson. But you also have to figure out that who do you pair Eric Carlson with? Vlasic, yeah. who is yeah. damn secure as, as a defender. You need that Caden Gula, you need that Romanov, you need that yeah. Vlasic. What's the guy in, in, in uh, Philadelphia that I'm really like, the Russian guy as well. Uh, anyway. Roverov. Yeah. Roverov. Uh, who, who's, who's a little bit more offensively minded, but he is so good that you can put him with whatever other offensive defenseman you want, and he yeah. will excel. In, he will take his own responsibility, half of the other guy, so he can play forward. Yeah. And and I think Kaden Gula is that kind of player as well. Maybe not to that level yet. We don't know. We will have to see that in five years' time, and you can come back on Twitter and tell me I was wrong. That's fine. But <laughs> but on the other hand, you also need to figure out that. In order to have that sexy pick uh, or, or that cool uh, defender that can rush and join in, and you need another stable partner that is not, and, and he can definitely not be bad at skating because he needs to cover such a big area of the rink, even if it's a narrow rink in, in North America. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is with, with Gouli, right, is that he he doesn't he, he jumps into play. He, he's not a guy who just stays at the blue line and hits people. Like the first goal he scored against Germany, which was still a zero zero game at that point, he was basically at the face off circle to get the puck and and went in and and shot the puck into the net. Like he he jumps into the play a lot. He he's not a he's not a necessarily a puck mover. He can move the puck, but he, he's not like a, an elite puck mover. But he jumps into play. He skates the puck up. He's He's not just a guy who's there to hit people. You know, it's it's kind of why I laugh at the uh, comparisons of Romanov to Alexei Evelin, right? Because, you know, big Russian hit people, yeah. you know, big body. and, and but, but they do so much more. And that's the new generation of defensemen. It's not just Romanov and Gouli. You look up and down the NHL. You have these guys everywhere. Jake Sanderson is a very good example of that. Yeah, He's Morris not a guy who's going to put up points. Come on. You should Morris, see. Yeah. You should see Maurice Sider in SHL. He's he's dominant and he's so yeah. good. Well, Darlene too, even right. Yeah. To, to, he's he's not putting up crazy numbers at the NHL level, right? But he's he's great at both ends of the the the, the ice. And you know, look at Jake Sanderson, a guy who was picked uh, ahead of Jamie Drysdale in the draft, right? So he's a guy who's not going to put up as many points as Drysdale. But he's a guy who can skate, he can move back, he can play up both sides of the ice. And, and Gouli is kind of a lesser that. He's not as good. You know, you, you look at yes. Team Canada, you have Byram and Drysdale, who are probably two of the top defensemen in the last two drafts. It was mm-hmm. Sanderson in there a little bit, Sider as well. There's different guys in there as well. But, you know, he's not at that level. But, you know, it, it's. I think he's better than Braden Schneider, who was taking a few picks after him. Um, the New Jersey pick. Um, um, Shakir Muhammadulin. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Gouli's better than him, right? It's just, you know, you talk about first-round picks. Uh, Gouli, in terms of the, the defenseman picked in the first round, uh, rates out very well and, and showed in that tournament as well. Yeah, and moving on to the gold medal carrier, the one with many words on press conferences that should not be used <laughs> and has a gorgeous smile. Uh, <laughs> we all love him already and are he you, became are, are sort of love, a legend. Are you in love, Patrick? No, no, no. Romano is still my first and only. Oh, okay. his, his, reaction, his reaction to swearing was almost as good as the swearing itself. Yeah, it was. I, I think it was, it was better. But, but we, of course, we're speaking about Cole Caulfield and we're not talking only about getting hit by Kaden Goulet. We're not only talking about the missed shots that he had in, in a few games. But we're talking about the overall play. And I know this is a heart, a question close to your heart, Jared. 
Cole Caulfield, hear me out for a second. Cole Caulfield shut down forward. <laughs> Does yeah. it sound weird to everybody else? Because that's what he was. And, it, you know, there was so many, so much talk about how he was being used at the start of the tournament. And I'm guilty of this as well. Why is he not being used with Zegris? Why is he not being used uh, in a shooting position on the power play? And the answer, and it basically won the U.S. a gold medal or helped win the U.S. a gold medal, was he was basically a decoy, <laughs> you know? And there, there's two parts to this. The first part is the even strength play. And why is he with... Uh, with Beneers and Boldy and not with Zegris and Turcotte. And the answer to that is, if you have Caulfield on that line of Boldy and Beneers, you have to watch it as if there's a top scorer on that line. You put Kaliev on that line, teams aren't paying as much attention to that, which means what? It means they can load up against the Zegris line. And Caulfield was basically a decoy, even on the power play. Why do you put him in the bumper when he's the best shooter and, and maybe one of the best playmakers on the team? The reason is, is that you basically have, you watched any team that kills penalties against the United States. They had three, maybe even four guys around Caulfield at all times. They didn't let him get a, a second. And, you know, some people are going to look at them and be like, oh, he couldn't make his own space. But what I see is that I see that that was his role. Because you look how much room Zegers had. You look how much room Colin Cam York had. How much room Kaliev had on the other side. How much room Matt Boldy had down at the net front. That was his role. His role was to basically create space for everybody else. And, and people are going to look at goals. They're going to look at assists. That doesn't matter to me at all. And, and it didn't matter to me to be, regardless of what he did. But what I saw in this tournament was that he changed his game completely. And, and, and you know, he played six minutes, over six minutes in the third period of the gold medal game with a 2 nothing lead. That was the third most of any U.S. forward. Only Turcotte and Boldy played more minutes. He played more than Zegras. He played more than Kaliev. He made, played more than, uh, than than any other forward on that team. And to me, what that tells me is that he was trusted. He played a shutdown role. He wasn't there to score goals. And the, the thing that made him excel at that regard is that everybody else on the other teams expected him to score goals. And, and, and I think if, that and if we lauder And if we lauder Mishak for... for helping his team out and exactly. and sacrifice himself we need to do the same thing with 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 Cole Caulfield yeah absolutely you know he had an A on his jersey he didn't have the C like Mishak did but he he definitely helped the US win the gold medal by more than just goals and assists and it, it was clear as day and he, he you know before the tournament we uh David St. Louis had an article about how he was in like a hero mode and I felt that at times I felt that he was still in that mindset whenever he touched the puck and that he wanted to do everything every time he touched the puck but I understand now why he was in that mindset it's because he was so he was so like pent up <laughs> from not having from playing that role that he was playing that he's like whenever he had open space in the puck he's like I'm going to shoot it <laughs> and and that's basically what he what he ended up doing but yeah you know he showed me more in this tournament playing the role he did than if he had scored 15 goals. Yeah, it was more something that can give you like even more hope for, for his future NHL career. He's such a smart player. 
Um, and like everyone has talked all the time about how short he is and how his physique will not be enough for the NHL possibly and he's, how he's only a one-trick pony and he's only a goal scorer. If there is anything we've uh, like learned from this season, both by what David St. Louis has written and from watching him now and both Wisconsin and in the World Juniors, is that he is a versatile play playmaker. He is a guy that, I mean, obviously you don't want to have him on your bottom line because that would be just wasting his talents, but, but he's an NHL caliber prospect in many regards not just as a goal scorer but I can just like I mean can you imagine seeing him next to a Nick Suzuki or a Jesperi Kotkaniemi in a couple of years it will just be yeah it will just be great fun to to uh, for for all of us Canadian fans because like I I I love the Caulfield pick when it happened. I remember I was in Rome and I had my Rangers fan uh, of a friend next to me and he was saying like, I hope that Caulfield doesn't slip to 15 and I was saying the opposite and like here we are now a year and a half later and I'm even more secure that, you know, the Canadians really had a steal at 15 and I'm looking forward to seeing his future trajectory. And if we put stock into different people, we need to put stock into David Saint-Louis. His, his article, obviously, about how, how Caulfield has changed his game and what he's going through at Wisconsin, fantastic. But the way David speak about the interview that, that Marc Dumont, our former boss, uh, did with, with uh, Cole Caulfield in order uh, just before the World Championships, I think. Uh, and, and he come out, I remember David came into the Slack chat that we have and he was like, Seriously, this guy's hockey IQ. No player speaks hockey like this. This is no. for the nerds. And and if, if if David is that excited about someone something and and especially a kid uh, of, like Cole Caulfield, I'm getting excited no matter what I see on on the ice it, or, or what I think I see on the ice. For me, I put so much trust in 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 David in in those situations. So so I'm clearly comfortable with with what I've seen. I like the fact again, as he did, as Mishak did, uh, Cole Caulfield sacrificed his own role or his own play in order to strengthen the team, and that's what we need. And, and you know, Montreal might not have the top end talent in this year's NHL, but there is no deeper team, I think, in 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 on the forward lines. There are some deep forward lines for Montreal, and if you can have, as you mentioned, like Cole Caulfield coming in. On the third line with Jesper Kotkaniemi, then you're gonna have all sorts of fun. Yeah, and the, the thing is that with, with, with Caulfield reminds me of, of Nick Suzuki on the wing. That, that's really what he reminds me of uh, in terms of his smarts, his offensive upside, but also the the way he can play. And, and it's it just you know Nick Suzuki was a 13th overall pick too. He dropped in the draft. He wasn't a high draft pick. Uh, I'm sure some teams would rather have him right now than, than whoever they picked ahead of him. I, I think Vegas would rather have a Suzuki than Cody Glass. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a pretty good comparison. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And the funny thing is, I think a lot of Canadians fans would have rather Cody Glass at the time of the trade than Nick Suzuki. Definitely. Looking at, we're, talk, we're starting to talk about how the Canadians can form up and, and uh, the first couple of days of, of training camp has been exciting for, for a few different reasons. And congrats, Jared, a question on the press conference. Yeah, that, that, that was a long time coming. Uh, I stand on the shoulders of uh, everybody else at Eyes on the Prize uh, for that one. But yeah, it's it, it's fun. It, it's fun to be able to, uh, to to be involved in that way, absolutely. And looking at the, the lines, first and foremost, there, there are some birthdays we need to mention today. Is it both Kulak and Romanov, or is it just Romanov, or, or is it someone else I'm missing as well? I know it's Romanov, that's why I know, right? No, Kulak's uh, birthday is today. 
It's the 6th of January. Yeah, I, I think Kulak is today. And mm. Romanov is 9th, isn't the it? The 6th. Yeah, it's the 6th as well. 6th so as well, are, yeah. 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 <laughs> and Guli is the 18th. <laughs> so maybe he'll be in Montreal by the time his birthday comes also. And they call us hockey nerds. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, they're, I'm, I'm a keyboard nerd. <laughs> they're... Um, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, most impressive, maybe, as we mentioned just before starting the podcast, is that all of us that likes to think and tinker a little bit with the lineup and everything seems to have the same lineup as Claude Julien. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of funny because there's so many times when you... I mean, you can adjust certain things. Like I, I had in ahead of Armia. Uh, on on the line of Kanyemi and Antofoli, but I mean, it really does make a difference. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's uh, six of one, half dozen of another. You know, glass half full, half empty. You know, it's it's the same thing. It's 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 amazing how the Canadians uh, have what looks like such a balanced lineup. And you know, we, we talked about this in the playoffs that their lineup was balanced, but now it's like it's really balanced now. You know, a third pairing of Kulak and Romanov. Like, uh, compared to Willet and Mete, like nothing to take away from Willet and Mete, but I mean, man, like that, it's, it's, I, I feel like everyone knows that this Canadians team is better than it has been. Everybody, Mark Bergevin knows, Claude Julian knows, Carey Price knows, Shea Weber knows. You, you watch like the the first couple days of press conferences, and everyone is just like, yeah, you know, we're good. You know, at, at first everyone's like, every every year when Mark Bergevin starts the season, he's like, yeah, I hope to make the playoffs, see what happens. But now it's like. No, we're making the playoffs. Then we'll see what happens, right? Like yeah. it's it's the same message, but it's like it, it's just more confident up and down the lineup. Yeah, and that's of course that's spreading it throughout the lineup as well. I mean, that is why guys like Michael Froelich and and Corey Perry have signed for minimum wage because obviously they didn't even they mention could... them. Either. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but it's just because like they feel the vibe coming out of Montreal right now, and I'm betting that because we've seen a lot of articles from from you know, rivals and, and, you know, rivaling Canadian cities and everything that where they want to kind of downplay the Canadians because they don't have that, you know, star power that, you know, an Elias Patterson or a Johnny Goudreau or a, an Austin Matthews is. Uh, but, you know, as you say, the balance, balance of the lineup and just going out there and just driving for 60 minutes a game with four lines and three strong defensive groups. I mean, it will be hard to stop the Canadians this season if they can play the same kind of style of game that they played for the last couple of years. Especially in the third period. You know, they, they, yeah. they, they're going to crush it in the third period on, if they don't do it before. But but when and, and at home, when you have the last line change, it's going to be up and down the lineup. You're going to tinker with it. You're going to... Like, Claude Julian must be sitting there like he's holding a straight flush at the poker table in Vegas, in a way. It's, it's going to be amazing to see. And uh, no, I'm not hyping the team at all. But but yeah, <laughs> it's. But there, uh, there's uh, reason. There's reason behind the hype for once. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, you roll four lines. You're gonna save yeah. people uh, during the game. You're gonna save people for that 56 game short game short season that is gonna impact players differently. They're gonna be they're gonna be home and away stands that are gonna be three games in four days. You need rested players. Yeah, and, and I, I think, and every, I think yeah. we shouldn't be looking forward. We shouldn't be worried about someone sitting for a game, because everyone is going to need rest every here and there. Exactly, and I just think that it's great that you don't have to rely on one or two lines for your entire season, because, like, 
if we compare to you know the the rivals in the West, well, everyone is in the West, but Toronto Maple Leafs, for example. I mean, it's really it really comes down to like three or four guys, and if they don't perform, if they have a bad uh, stretch of games, or if they are even injured. Like it's kind of difficult to uh, just get the production out of the rest of the guys, uh, but with the Canadians, it's just like well, next man up kind of mentality this season, and you know, just managing, <laughs> managing to have such a deep lineup under the cap in a season where the cap uh, floor didn't, uh, well, the cap ceiling didn't go up. It's just incredible work by Mark Bergman. I mean, if we if we hate on him when he does bad things, we have to really, you know. Um, Really raise his, uh, you know, status uh, once and for all for what he's done this off season. I think we haven't hated on him for quite some time. No, no, exactly, exactly. But I mean, it's just no, it's just uh, impressive work. Yeah, you know, it, we we we're, we're in the business of hyping up, not not because we we necessarily want the Canadians to do well, or we just see the the positives of this. But yeah, like, like you guys mentioned, this isn't the year. That you have to stretch like Nadia Comaneci and able to to get to uh, a playoff picture, right? Like this, I think that there's more pointing towards the playoffs than not pointing towards the playoffs for the Canadians this year. And, and yes, a lot of things can happen and, and things like that. But yeah, I mean, it's for me, this is a playoff team. And also with the with the addition of Jake Allen, it, it's it's fifteen million dollars in in goalkeepers, but it's probably the best goal keeping tandem in in NHL. Yeah, I would I would say that at least in the in the North Division. Yeah, you know, I, I think Holtby Demko is interesting. Uh so same thing with with Markstrom Riddick in, in Calgary. Uh you know, Toronto finally has a couple of capable backups. Uh, yeah. That depends yeah. how you feel. I mean, I I wouldn't put them on on the levels of the other, but I think they're you know, it's not Mike Smith and Koskinen. No, right. like, I mean, if you compare it to the worst, of course, it's going to be better. Yeah. But I would rather take I mean, Jake Allen than Riddick or Braden Holtby at this point. Yeah, I, I mean, those, those, they're close. But I, I think that, yeah, I mean, Montreal is, is, is pretty, is ahead in the division. Um, but the other teams have good, you know, that's the way things are going now. You know, tandem goaltenders is a thing, especially this year. Right? Like, look, look at, uh, look at Washington, right? They, they, they brought in Lundquist, obviously. He's not able to play, so what do you do? They get, go and get Craig Anderson, and and they all already have uh, Vitek Vanacek as well in, in their system, who is you know might might be the backup to start the season as well. So you know every team is doing this, every team, and and the teams that are successful have that that tandem in place, or at least have somebody that you can rely on uh, behind your starter. You know, uh, it, it it you know Montreal has gone the route of of playing Carey Price as much as possible and hope that it works. And I think that now part of the the optimism is not only Allen himself, but the team around Allen, right? Like, like th- this team doesn't need Carey Price to be Carey Price in order to win. They just need to be, you know, good. <laughs> I mean, if he's great, then then you've obviously even better, right? But the the expectation on Price, the, the weight on Price, is not like it was in previous years either. No, it's definitely not, and I think that it, it's strengthened, and you see this actually in SHL quite a lot as well. More and more teams going to a 1A, 1B kind of, of setup. Um, it hasn't really gone through everywhere yet, but but it's starting. Um, Faristad, uh, I think Freland as well. Lulio. Uh, Lulio as well. Uh, often with a young guy as well to, to, to let him play as much as possible. But but really, they are looking. These three teams are also looking deep into the playoffs. 
you can't have a uh, first and foremost you can't have a player that a goalkeeper that is tired in the playoffs second you if something happens in the playoffs and this happened two years ago for Frölunda the goalkeeper got injured but they have a 1b that gets straight out in there and actually steals the series for them or steals make sure they win the series because they was 4-1 or 4-2 but but they, they won the final on that because they had a good backup and, and you're going to need that and i think that is really really what, what sets a little bit more of a calm in regards to the as you say team around carry price but, but for the whole team for the whole community and and fan, including fans and media everyone is a little bit more relaxed this year yeah and i think it's helped out a lot i mean we're talking about the goalies here but the canadians have kind of I mean, they have uh, loaded up on every... Now with the signings of Frolik and, and Perry, you can really say that, well, there are like eight or nine qualified defensemen who can go in and play any given night, uh, which basically means less pressure on the older guys, right? So Weber and Petrie doesn't, don't have to go out and play for 25 minutes per night, which is great because if they can be more well-rested, that's great. They can follow through. I mean, they like we, we've seen Weber's injury, injury problems in the past. It's just great if he doesn't have to go out and play almost <laughs> half of the minutes per game. Uh, and the same for the forwards. I mean, if, if you have more qualified uh, forwards and experience on your taxi squad, uh, forward-wise as well, it just puts less pressure on every single guy. So, yeah, it's just, yeah, the Canadians may have a little <laughs> a little bit of excess on every position at this point, having six goalies and, and, you know, a lot of defensemen, a lot of forwards, but better to have it than not to have it when you come into the season and all the injuries start to pile up. Yeah, and that's where that's where Frolik and Perry come in, right? Like, everyone, like, as soon as Corey Perry signed, people are like, oh, get rid of Paul Byron. We don't need him anymore. But if Corey Perry plays 56 games, that's a failure in yeah. my mind. You know, he's not there to play 56 games. And, and that's not taking anything away from Corey Perry. It's not taking anything away from any of the guys. It's that Co Corey Perry will be best if he plays like 25 games and then is 100% in the playoffs, right? Like like Mark Bergevin even said it in his, his season opening press conference. There are guys that get you in and guys that get you through. Perry's the guy that gets you through. You don't need him for the 56-game regular season. You need him for the playoffs. And I think that that's the mindset that's going to be going on with the Canadians. And I'm sure that you're going to have a rotation. And a rotation doesn't mean that you're, you know, you're going to sit out. Even guy, even young guys are going to have that, right? Like, that, you know, Romanov hasn't played a, a full season with, you know, 15, 18-minute games in, in, in a few years, right? Like, and, and that's not taking anything away from him. I'm not saying he's, phys he's physically not ready for it. I'm just saying you have the opportunity to rotate guys in and out. You're going to do it. And, you know, even guys like, like Gallag Gallagher has played a hurt a lot, right? Like, if you can tell him, listen, you know, take, take, a, take a day off. And I'm sure Gallagher is going to hate that. But it, it gives you more leeway, right? You know, if you it, – it, it, it hits differently, right? When you tell Kerry Price to sit out because Keith Kincaid is going to start, and if you tell Brendan Gallagher to sit out because, you know, Charles Houdon is going to get in the lineup or Alex Belzil is going to get into the lineup, it hits differently than when you're like – you're going to sit out, we're going to put in Corey Perry. Or we're going to, you're going to sit out, we're going to put in Jake yeah. Allen. And, and it just hits differently. And, and these guys know that, right? Yeah, they, they certainly do. It's, uh, it's uh, clear from, from everyone's point of view. And also what I just thought about is that when you have a nagging injury, you can't sit out. So you don't aggravate it. You, you, you can sit out in order to let that heal because you got such a good player coming in instead. 
and and it's as you say it's not going to hurt that much it's not going to uh, hurt on on a psychological level but it also helps you keep that freshness in the squad and i think that's going to be super important especially with with two three games in short space of time and traveling across canada as well uh, we're not going to dive too deep into the lineup because we got an exciting project that is being launched tomorrow um, and we're going to preview all the other teams in the north division we're not going to go with that whatever the sponsorship deal they have but the north division or the canada division i'm not sure what we're calling it all through the the series but uh, we're going to preview all of the teams in the North Division, fin- finally finishing off, obviously, with the Montreal Canadiens when we have seen more of the training camp and everything. But we got some exciting guests coming in to, to help us do that. We got uh, different ones of us are involved in different episodes. So you're going to hear more uh, more from Anton, more from, from Jared, and more from me, but maybe in singular fashion. Uh, we thank you guys for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this series. We hope you enjoy the World Junior Championships. And I know all of us is looking forward to the season. Follow Absent Minded on Twitter. It's Eyes on the Prize Radio. Uh, follow Eyes on the Prize, obviously. Reach out to us. We'll listen. We crave ideas. Where If you have any specific questions you want us to answer, shoot them to us in DMs, shoot them in comments, shoot them in... In, over Twitter on so everyone can see them if they want to uh, thank you guys for, for, for joining me today Jared Book follow him on Twitter Anton doesn't do Twitter but but you know listen to what he says because he's a smart kid <laughs> <laughs>